the problem is so big. And people don't realize how big the problem actually is. It just, the system is broken. So you, you, you needs a lot of thought, you know. I'm proud to say I don't sleep because the problem's so big and I want to spend all my time trying to, to solve it. And we're still not there yet, you know. Humbly, we've, we've got a long way to go to keep, you know, keep um, getting our message out there and educating and sort of giving awareness to, to our con consumers in the community. We, we don't want to be good, we want to be great and we want, don't want this to sound too aggressive, but we want world domination. That's what, we, that's what we're after. Um, so we can try and stop this, stop this problem. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast, where we talk to inspiring humans all over the world, working to make change for the better. I'm Joy, and today we're hanging out with Ben Young, the founder of Frank Green. Frank Green is a purpose-driven, performance-based company that specializes in products that divert waste from landfill. That doesn't sound particularly sexy, unless you're of the eco-anxious variety like we are. But let me tell you that Frank Green has somehow made it sexy to a much broader audience. Their focus is ruthlessly design and innovation driven to make their reusable coffee cups, water bottles and other products as usable and as beautiful as possible. The idea being that an exceptional custom experience will ultimately save more waste from going to landfill. We met Ben in the Frank Green head office and couldn't help but be inspired by his enthusiasm and energy. He was literally shaking with excitement as he spoke about the company's vision, their iterative approach, how they've built sustainability into their value chain, advice for purpose-driven startups, and Frank Green's big, big plans for the future. We cover such a variety of topics, so if you like, you can use the show notes for this episode as a guide. You can find these at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now, fair warning, this episode is best enjoyed with a coffee in hand in a reusable coffee mug, of course. Ben, thank you so much for being on our show and having us here in the Melbourne offices of Frank Green. We are so excited to hear more about it. But before we do so, yes. can we learn more about you? Where, did, where were you born and mm. where did you grow up? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Sydney uh, and where I grew up, I was really lucky. I um, well, my parents' uh, house was, was on like uh, just before a national park, so I basically just spent all my time every day after school and that kind of thing, just going down the bush, you know, catching yabbies and you know, catching fish and looking at kangaroos and stuff. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I, I spent my whole life out outside, and you know, even even um, you know, when I went back to school, I used I used to hate wearing shoes because that whole summer break, whatever it might be, I just wore bare feet down the bush, whatever, it didn't worry me. I was just one of those kids that just kind of like. Just was in nature, and I loved I loved all that. So um, yeah, and still today, it's, you love going back home to see my mum and dad, and always go out bushwalking, whatever it might be. So yeah, so you know that that was my sort of upbringing, and you know it was a lot of fishing and out on boats and uh, beach and uh, out in nature. But then you know you go through sort of um, your schooling and that kind of thing, and I went to an amazing school, and all my friends from school, uh, school are still my friends today. We never lost touch, and that's that's amazing. Um, and then you go, you go to university, and you know I did a, a business degree or a commerce degree, and then you start your career, and you kind of don't know what you want to do to start with, and probably nor should you either, because you know you've got to explore life. And then, and I was really lucky to get into sort of um, logistics and operations management. It taught me so much because that's a really tough industry to be in with really small margins, so everything is scrutinised. And then when I got myself into M and A, you know. Um, uh, when folding uh, was purchased by Main Health or Main Logistics at that time, they bought pathology and diagnostic imaging businesses and a health logistics business. And yeah, I was involved in that sort of that whole due diligence. And I was the youngest by ten years, and 
the least educated by an NBA in that team and I was out of my depth <laughs> by a long way. So wow. just every day, you know, for a year I just <laughs> hang anxiety before I went to work and just worked really hard and you know, it came out that the other side and then, you know, from there um, I was really lucky I went to work for Woolworths for a little while and where they were going to put pharmacies in their stores but they, they found out there was a legislation that stopped them from doing it no matter how clever they might have been. And then after that, I worked for a company called Alinto. It was probably the best corporate experience I, I had, where they went from a, a $200 million business a year to $14.5 million wow. over, over a source of about you know five or so years. Wow. And the leadership um, uh, at that business was amazing. And it was, you know, it was all about don't ask for permission to do something, just ask for forgiveness if you get it wrong. Uh, yeah, yep. working yep. with the most talented people in this kind of like business strategy area, um, and just we just got on with it and, and did it. There was no, there's no politics, no nothing. Just about making the business better and being transparent, and, um, um, and just looking at what the future could be if you, you know, some really determined individuals got together. That was a, that was a real amazing time. So you are not Frank Green. You are Ben Young. <laughs> yes, that's right. Frank Green is the business that we're here to talk yes. about. So tell us about it. How did it come to be? How did it come to exist? Yeah, sure. So. Um, I'll first of all, just talk about Frank Green and why the name Frank Green, because that means something. Yeah. So we wanted a, a name for a business that was inspiring, but also intrinsically the, the business's values. So Frank um, literally translates to being honest and open in all your sort of your business dealings, and then green means sustainable. But it also Perfect. means um, you know doing something green, get out of your comfort zone and do something you've never done before, because you probably be good at it, right? When you put the effort in. So yeah, that's kind of inspiring, and also the values of the business somewhere. We're super proud about that because it can be so much more than just a name and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a philosophy. It's a way of life. Mm. And we're just trying to provide solutions um, to people so they can be sustainable in their everyday life without losing any functionality or you know, looking bad, doing it or getting coffee down the front of the shirt or whatever like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which often happens. Yeah, it does. Absolutely it does. critical. Yeah. So you were working for these amazing corporates where you mm -hmm. learned a ton of great information, a mm -hmm. uh, ton of great skill. Mm -hmm. um, what happened? How did it? How did you go from there to, to starting yeah. a coffee cup company? Yeah, so this is a really good question. So at my time at Alinta, I had this amazing boss. I'm not going to mention his name because he'll get a big head. But um, <laughs> but we, we were asked to go and kind of do some of our own projects in a sense and just come up with what we would think is good business ideas. And I suppose it was testing us on our entrepreneurial our flair and you know and I came up with you know I looked at all the market I looked at payments I looked at what's happening in the environment and I came up with this business like it was about 15 years ago 10 years before I even started Frank Green I came up with it and I presented it back to my team and they thought I was nuts like <laughs> why would you do that you just have your coffee out of a normal cup why would you why would you want a reusable one so I, I did that and I, you know I put together a little mini business plan and presented it back and even to these these geniuses that I work with, they said it was a bad idea. But maybe it might have been my pitch, right? You were way so, ahead of your time. Yeah, and so that, that happened before anyone in Australia had started a reusable cup business. That, that was my idea. And so I've still got it in my little book of ideas, this idea about doing it. But you had to, you know, I've got this thing about you've got to be at least two standard deviations away from everyone else. And I know that's a mathematical thing mm. and you've got to apply that to a business. But, you know, you've got to be able to make sure that your product is amazing it doesn't matter that someone's been there before. You just got to be a lot better, and not just a bit better. You got to be a lot better, and then you know you got to solve a market problem. There's got to be value in it for everyone. So you know when you talk about our products, our cups. So every single time they're used, they save the cafe, the cost of the single use cup. They save the environment. You know they save waste collection costs. They save all that kind of thing, and then uh, consumers get a discount. 
when they pay, you know, when they go to a cafe and take their reusable cup. So they're saving money as well. And then, you know, out of that, you then, you know, you put, you know, um, vacuum insulated stainless steel, you know, you, 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 you cope the internals with ceramic and you do all these crazy things. And so people drink the coffee at now with our product at the temperature that the barista kind of made it at. So that, that's all about that experience because baristas are a lot more technical than people think, right? They're fanatical. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a religion. Yeah, it's a religion. <laughs> And so, you know, they get up a lot earlier than people people probably give them credit for. Just because they've got tattoos, it doesn't mean that they've done 10, 10 degrees, science degrees and that kind of thing. So, yeah, they get up and they test all the water, they test all the acidity in the coffee and they do run all these programs. So, you know, they've got very similar looking equipment to um, you have here for your podcast and how they look at all those things and litmus wow. paper comes out. You I had no crazy. idea. I didn't yeah, know, I know that. But yeah, it was just magic that came out of yeah. a machine. Yeah. Because I like that. So, you know, respect, respect to them. So, um, yeah. Um, and we're just trying to most certainly bring sort of, you know, all that together. So it's a really seamless experience for um, a, a consumer. So once they finish their coffee, they can just, you know, pop the lid of the thing and then just chuck it in their bag and it's not going to leak and the lid's not going to come off and everything. So we literally had a 100-point checklist before um, we were going to start the business. We had to tick all these things off. And there was actually 100 things, not 101, not 99, 100 things in this list. I don't know why it was 100, it just was. That, that's a really large number. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And you got that from focus groups and yeah, doing right. research and yeah. surveys. Yeah, and looking yeah, at all incredible. of our competitive products and what people were saying about them and what we had to do. And, you know, just like the design here in the curves, don't ask me why, um, but there's certain curves, and I read this article out of this design journal, that there's curves that are pleasing to people's eyes. It just is. Like, we shouldn't yeah, fight it. Yeah, curves that these, we really know. Yeah, these, yeah, these magic golden ratios, they call them. And so we wanted to make sure that our product had the minute. So if you're going to look at it, you want to look at something that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So just just took all that, you know, spring pressures and making sure that when people pushed it, they didn't think um, it was too weak or too strong to do. And, you know, just about how the, all the materials came together. Like there was about 35 materials that we tried just for the lid about how, how it worked and how it, hot water didn't affect it. Because it is, you know, things expand when they get heated up and it didn't want the lid popping off and all that kind of thing. Yeah, well, or, we just or, didn't want to or hurt leaching our of plastic yeah, or any it. of that that's stuff. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So we've jumped right ahead into the product. Yeah. I want to know what <laughs> happened in those 10 years. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I went back to, you know, I had this idea and, you know, I always had the back of my mind, but it, it, it's, it's weird. You've got to respect the, the kind of grounding that you get and the experience you get from your corporate job. It's bloody hard. Yeah. Right? You're always working for the man. There's multiple priorities. Yep. There's politics. There's all this stuff going on. And I kind of think it conditioned you. And I wasn't ready until I was like 35, I think, to do this business. You know, it, it's got, in, it's got um, design. It's got engineering, it's got tooling, it's got marketing, it's got, you know, the digital age. Don't don't get me started on that, what you've got to <laughs> be able to understand now and how you can make the world completely flat with really great digital techniques for marketing your business. So all those things, um, you know, uh, I didn't necessarily have experience in them, but what I did have experience in is when there's a problem, how to go through a process to get to the other end because I had to do that a lot when, you know, looking at businesses to buy and that kind of thing and then integrating them into the businesses that I work for. So, yeah, doing that firsthand. So, yeah, so, you know, I just decided to start the business. And I made so many mistakes, it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> in my corporate job, like, I didn't make that many mistakes. Otherwise, you know, I probably wouldn't have been there. But um, in, when that's my own money, I made so many mistakes, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's the money not to make mistakes. Yeah, right? I know, right? Yeah, so we made two cups before we made this one. So, you know, <laughs> the first one had this swipey seal. Like it was a lid. It looked like this, right? We always got the design right, the external, but the internal, 
you have to, to move the lid around to open it and close it like a little camber on here. Mm -hmm. And just after a while, after um, two months, it started to wear out. Because when you have something grinding against something, it doesn't matter how good the materials are, they will wear out, right? Steel yeah. on steel will wear out. So, yeah, we just had to go back to the thing and you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars doing the prototyping and the design and then you'd make the tools and then you'd get them into production because you don't really know how it's going to handle you know, despite you doing all these 3D models and all this kind of stuff. You don't know how it's going to work until you get it into life and you kick it around and throw it across the road and see what happens to it. <laughs> Did you actually do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. videos <laughs> originally of um, our products and competitor products, honestly just putting hot water in them and then seeing our competitor products like the lid popping off right. and stuff like that and throwing them across the road and seeing the lid come off them in midair before they even hit the ground and ours, ours had hit the ground and go like this, boom, 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 and then you go and press the button and you, it would be fine. So wow. yeah. that was a level Super of engineering yeah, that we, we wanted to get to. And even that you can imagine an Ikea video, you know how we saw that back, I don't know, 20 years ago where there might have been some um, you know little thing that just kept pushing on our lead of our product and we did it for like a million times and gave up because none of the parts wore. We wanted to check all that out. Amazing. And, and it didn't. Yeah. So everything's been rated to being pushed, you know, every five seconds of every part of your day for the rest of your life and it won't wear out. And that's just a level of engineering, I think, that we need to start to explain to our consumers about the journey we've been on. And that's what I think, you know, 2019, 2020 will be with the brand, how we, you know, most certainly take people on for the journey. So when they... they they know about Frank Grand. There's a deeper understanding to the, all the things that we have yeah. done to get to where we've got to and where we're going. So yeah, it's been a complete evolution. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. and it, the good thing about it now is because we're, you know, it's always the way you got a bow wave and you got to get up onto the plane. Now, as a business, we're up onto the plane, and you know, the world's a roaster now, particularly you know, taking on other continents. Sure. You know, America being part of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I want to go back to the motivation. Why did you decide to, you know, after 10 oh. years, you had this idea. It sounds like you have an ideas book, so you probably had yeah, thousands of ideas. Well, I've got why about, this about 50. About 50. Yeah. Okay, that's a good list. Yeah. But why did you choose this idea? Oh, I'm really passionate about it. As a, as a little kid, everywhere I went, I saw, you know, stupid plastic bottles and going down estuaries and stuff like that and, you know, putting out crab pots out in the Hawkesbury River in Sydney and you bring it up and it's got a plastic bottle and, you know, and that kind of thing. So... You know, or plastic cups, uh, you know, flowing outside bins and down the road, and and I kind of like have this. Um, one one, uh, one manager I had once said, you know, what to me as this real clangor as a, as a saying, where there's confusion, there's profit. So you know, with recycling, people think everything gets recycled and it gets made into these beautiful products, but no one ever sees these products because they're, they're they're non-existent because things don't get recycled. Yeah, I read this like seven yeah. percent or something. Oh, right? it wouldn't be anything this day with um this day and age with China not taking any of our recycled products and the the fact that the economics and this is a really big point the economics of recycling don't add up. And I'll give you an example. You know, a company like Vizi, um, you know, Australia's largest privately owned company that makes all plastic bottles and all that kind of thing, they don't buy recycled in the main. They don't buy a recycled plastic to make those bottles because uh, after you've recycled a plastic, in fact, to melt it down and do stuff, it loses, you know, sort of the chemical properties that, that it had originally. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't um, perform like a virgin plastic would. So, you know, our consumers don't want a cloudy-looking Coke bottle and one that could potentially just, you know, pull apart and delaminate or something like that. So they don't do it. Yeah. And then, then it's the cost. It costs about, you know, anywhere well over $2, $2 a kilo for recycled plastic. Give it all the, the, the effort and energy it is to go from, you know, the bottle itself after it's been made into pellets and all that kind of thing and 
a different kind of um, waste stream versus the you know the virgin plastic, which is about dollar fifty. They would probably pay for it a kilo, Incredible. so it's cheaper and it performs better than the recycled version. So why would they do it? Why and they're profit they motive, you know. They're you know they they're here to make money because if they don't make money, they go bankrupt. So you know you gotta you gotta appreciate their point of view too. You know, we don't we don't necessarily have really bad recycling facilities compared to the rest of the world. These MRFs or materials recycling facilities, and they're not really that different to the, to the to the other sort of European nations. It just costs a lot to do it, and we can't make them into something that's you know that's consumers actually want. Yeah. And the and the the problem is huge. I read one of your stats around the percentage of the landfill in yeah. Australia is about forty percent. Forty percent is either is, coffee cups or single or used beverage containers. That's, figure. Yeah, That's because crazy. we're completely addicted to coffee. Yeah. And um, and every if you walk down the street in Melbourne, all you see is well now you see a lot more Frank Green, but mm-hmm. in like, you know, five years ago all you would see is a coffee yeah. cup. Every single hand had a coffee cup in yeah. it. So it's it's not surprising yeah. that that would be what well, makes up land. Well about ninety percent of office bins at three o'clock. We had a customer that did this survey. It was a utilities business. They did a, a really amazing survey and and, and study. Ninety percent of office bins at three o'clock on a Friday were either single-use coffee cups or beverage containers. Because yeah. on a Friday, you probably have one or two one or two more coffees than you normally have. And, yep. You yep. know, there are probably people drinking V or, you know, Red Bull or something. <laughs> so <laughs> getting ready for the yeah. night. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, how about that? And yeah. so then you look at the, you know, then you kind of look through all that and you look at the cost that, that it is. Like in, in a, a Sydney, it's about $150 or $200 a tonne to get rid of that waste. And then when you look at a company's total waste cost, you know, so much of it goes to, you know, sort of managing in the collection and disposal of those two items. It's crazy. So yeah. the economics kind of stack up for a company to, you know, uh, to just give all their staff water bottles and coffee cups because it, over a period of time we've worked it out. It's about, it, it's about a return on investment of about nine months. You pay off the cost of buying those from, yeah. from a corporate's perspective. It's, wow. it's such from a, waste savings. Such a clear value proposition yeah. right there. Um, and and it, so it just makes complete sense that reusables mm-hmm. are the way to go going forward, which is uh, what mm-hmm. Frank Green is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to the innovation point mm-hmm. and the, that 100-point list that yep. you had to get right mm-hmm. to get this product mm-hmm. to market and loved by its consumers. Uh, what were the one or two things on the top of the list and how did you tap oh, it? Could, it couldn't leak. It couldn't leak. Okay. Yeah, that was a Very big important. thing. If you looked at the feedback from our competitors, they, they, they had problems with their lids and they just popped off. And you know you can't you can't have a reusable cup that you don't necessarily going to wash at work. You're going to take it home and put it in the dishwasher. You can't have its lid poppy off uh, while it's in your bag. And you don't want to have to have another bag to put your coffee cup in another bag and go then get yeah. home. So you you have to solve that. And then I read these studies actually at Starbucks did when I was sort of working through the business plan of the business, and they uh, gave a whole lot of money to someone who was going to come up with solving. The reusable, you know, single-use versus reusable problem. It was all about washing. That yeah. was the number one thing, and it was, you know, m- you know, so much more important than any of the other factors. Design, innovation, nothing was about washing it because they didn't want to, um, you know, that they, they wanted that process to be easy. So the the first thing was it can't leak. What was the second thing on the list? Ah, uh, it, it needed to, um, you know, sort of from a perspective of, you know, keep people's coffee hot and all that kind of thing. So we needed to keep that sort of like uh, double-walled. And just other things like it was 73 millimetres wide originally, but that was too wide for people's hands. So we made it back to 71 and a half. So one and a half millimetres. So technical. Yeah, made the difference. So some of the things that we did to to make it right. Um, 
So much iteration, huh? Yeah, that's right. Um, And then, you know, other things like, um, you know, in terms of human-centered design, uh, you couldn't make it. So because we could could make this seal with just, you know, turning the lid on just that much. It would stay on and it would be perfect. But people, when they're putting hot water and beverages in their coffee cup, they want to know that it's really on. So we had to make sure that the thread went around one, two, three, four times. And that was when consumers thought, yeah, it's on now. That's so, so just stuff like that. I didn't need to do it, but we did it, and you know, and I learnt that from a from a story where our industrial designer, which is you know one of the the reasons why we've been successful. You know, he he built this machine that started people's hearts for a medical company, and he, they made it so you just could put these paddles on someone's chest and go bang. But the doctors hated it because they didn't kind of think in their brain it was on, so they needed two buttons: one to press so they could see a light. And then when they wanted to put it on someone's chest that was just taken, they had to press another button. It's just like how we are as humans. Thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. control thing. Psychological. Yeah, psychological. Factor, yeah. So it's, it's all about that. That's what, what we did. I can totally, Amazing. I can yeah. relate to that. Yeah. I can imagine twisting it and wanting to know so the yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Innovation is super important to mm-hmm. you guys as well. Mm-hmm. You've got all kinds of cool things happening from a mm-hmm. digital perspective mm-hmm. and building in this internet of things into your products. Yes. Uh, what exactly makes a, a coffee cup smart or a water bottle smart? Yeah, right. Well, it's smart for a few reasons. So the first of all, it's sort of smart because of its overall design. It looks smart. Then secondly, you know, our lid that we have, this whole, you know, it's really simple to, you know, one-handed operation, push to open your drink. It stays open, right? You don't, you know, you don't have to hold it down to drink. And then you press again and it, and it doesn't leak. So it's that. That's all patented. That smart that that whole operation you don't get a you don't get a patent unless you know they've kicked your your idea around and, and granted that and and then obviously the technology side of thing as well you know we've done all these studies and you know anywhere from sixty five to j- just last week um, there's a bank in New Zealand did a study as well and gave us the results anywhere between sixty and ninety percent of people said they wouldn't buy a coffee cup unless it became useful. And, and, and the, the whole connectivity around Internet of Things and paying for your coffee with your cup is considered being useful because you have all your cash in your cup. It's super easy. Yeah, so that drives participation. And what makes that awesome, the participation is our values, you know, and our vision of the business but particularly is around stopping the manufacture and use of single-use products, mm. um, particularly coffee cups and water bottles. So that, that's the reason. Because everyone we get to you, every, every person that uses it on a daily basis and they use it more times um, than not, it miss, just means there's another coffee cup or another water bottle not in landfill. So if we can, you know, engage our customers in a, in a, in a more meaningful way by putting payments in, that's what we're going to do. So it's increase the participation rates. Fantastic. Yeah. And so you can walk down the street. You can get up from your desk at work. You take your coffee cup. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. You can walk down to the mm-hmm. coffee shop and look cool and yeah. minimalist while you're doing it. Yeah. And swipe your, your yeah, that's right. coffee cup while yeah. you need to pay. Or you could you buy a puppy. You could buy, um, you could buy some. Go to, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, Dan Murphy's. You could buy a nice bottle of whatever you'd like. You could, buy, you can buy anything with it. Amazing. So that's the thing. Anywhere where Visa is accepted in, in in the world, with tap and go, it's accepted. So I Very use mine, cool. even though it's a, the Australian version. I use mine in America that's every day. Amazing, right? Very so cool. totally universal like that. And you know, th- this thing that we're th- th- this year that we've got to really start to uncover within the business is this kind of frank green feeling that you get. 
So you you know you've got your cup. It looks looks beautiful. It's not leaking. It's you know it's it's matched to your suit or your your clothes that you're wearing. And then you go down, and the barista's the cool dude because he's got the tats and he's got the the shaved you know fade in his hair or whatever it might be. <laughs> he's looking cool. And then you rock up and you just you know swipe your cup and they go, oh man, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and it's that feeling cool. that you get that you've got all your you know all your you know all your bits together. And it's that thing that we're going to really unleash in this business, this frank green feeling. And then, you know, there's a loyalty and rewards program coming out with all this as well. So every single time you use it, you're going to get loyalty and rewards points because consumers expect more than just being, you know, their patronage is so important these days. So they want to be rewarded from going back to cafes. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah. it's also doubled with uh, with apps, right? So yes. There's the, I think it was the water app. Yeah, the water app. Yeah, cool. And so what is the what has the uptake been on these technology elements into it. Yeah, well, um, Frank Green Pay has been amazing. Yeah. Like we're just, you know, you just, we're astounded. And, you know, in, in all the companies that have seen other programs out there in terms of payments and wearables are astounded at the participation rates so of once someone, you know, connects their cup to their account, how many times they use it then and how they continue to use it. Now, uh, we've, we've read a little bit about Frank Green and every article we've read and video we've watched, mm-hmm. Uh, sustainability comes through as something mm-hmm. that's critical to you guys. Yes. And you've definitely alluded to that throughout this discussion. I wonder if um, we can go sort of a layer deeper and chat mm-hmm. about sustainability and maybe a good framework to to walk through is the value chain. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can, um, for the benefit of the listeners and others who mm-hmm. might want to embed sustainability into their business, uh, chat about how to embed sustainability into things like product design, yes. um, sourcing, manufacturing, yes. and sales and distribution. Yeah, great. So, uh, so I can talk about that at, at nauseum because <laughs> it was that you know it was one, one of the things that I that I read is about companies wanting to be sustainable, but they they got five years into their journey, then decided they wanted to be sustainable, and how hard that was to to fix. So you know we we didn't want that to happen, particularly with the values uh, you know of the business in, the, in our DNA. So. You know, even the product was designed in such a way in our packaging to be minimalist. We don't put our product in a box. It gets a wrap around the, the minimum amount of packaging that you could ever possibly have. Everyone else puts it in these canisters and boxes. That's far too much packaging. We don't need to, to do that. So, um, you know, other things like when we designed the boxes and everything, we made sure that, that we could fit a certain amount on a pallet when we're shipping them around and we could get 102% utilisation of a pallet. Because you can get that, you know, they're 1.2 wide and you could just go a little bit further. You're not going to get utilisation on the pallet. So they're the things that we're, we've kind of done to start with. Like, you know, the building that we're in now, it's it's um, powered by re, um, recycled energy in a sense from Red Energy. They're the people that do that in, in Australia. So just things like that that we do. And because as you get bigger, people are going to kick your tyres. And so they should if they're giving giving you their hard-earned cash to believe in your brand. So. You, you just want to be beyond reproach in all those areas. So it's just something that we, we continually think about. Like, you know, the toilet paper in the toilets here, you know, is, is, is that, you know, um, who gives a crap? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's that brand. Same as us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just, just things like that that we do um, in terms of the paper that we do when we do print around here, sometimes you need to, to get signatures on documents and stuff that, that, that's still in relatively old fashion. Yeah, it's, it's 100% recycled content paper, even though it won't be beautiful and white, but it still forms the job. So... They're all the things we're doing, like furniture here, that's all recycled, you know, Beautiful. done up, that kind of thing. That's cool. So, yeah, just, just things like that that we're just always thinking um, on how to, to do it better in terms of the ethos of the business. Because if we're going to call ourselves Frank Green, you know. you got to be green. you got to be green. <laughs> and yeah. Frank. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, let's chat about manufacturing. I'm super curious because I've right. seen a few articles 
that talk about bringing manufacturing back to Australia and yes. steel manufacturing, mm -hmm. and that's something that's clearly on yeah. your mind. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So you know, to start with, you know, when when you're starting this, it's it's always really confusing, foggy about where you should manufacture. You know, seemingly it's cheaper to manufacture offshore for the part price, but you know, my background's in you know, economics and, and, and M&A. So you, you don't just look at the cost it is to make that widget, right? You look at it in terms of its total life cycle. So, you know, if I had to pay, if I was getting it offshore, I'd have to pay them probably 50% up front, then they take three months to make it, then it gets on the slow boat from wherever it is to here. And you look at that in terms of this, um, the, the time value of money and all that kind of thing, and it just, it's not cheaper in the end. And then what happens if one of the container loads is not right for whatever reason because you're not next to it? It's a waste. And then you've got to, then there's this, this discussion around with that supplier about them not being right and it just gets messy and you don't want it to be like that. So that's why, you know, um, we're definitely passionate about Australian manufacturing because, you know, you work hand in hand with your manufacturer. You know, our manufacturer is amazing. I can't believe how, how much value that they add to this organisation. And so, you know, you don't pay for everything up front because they haven't made it yet. They don't need it. That's not how it is. Uh, and then the innovation of, that our manufacturer has is, is incredible. They're, you know, ex an automotive manufacturer. They're pretty much Ford and Toyota's and Holden's, you know, manufacturer of the year for the last 10 years running, you know, before they left, you know, the car companies left in droves in, in 2000, well, October 2017. And um, so all the, the, the innovation and sort of business acumen that they learned from those relationships with, with those guys, it, it's now been applied to our product in, in such a way. And they've done some really advanced things with those guys. Imagine putting together a dashboard with all these components in it, with all these parts, and it's got 387 parts or something, and putting all that together and all the different ways that they decorate things with grains and all that kind of thing being able to be applied to our, our product. And that just means we can run so much quicker at it. So we have an idea from the time that we have it to the time that we implement is so much quicker. You know, it's probably five times quicker than what it would be if you offshored it. So you just once again, look at all that, that speed to market. You know, we do all the decoration for our product in, in our own factory here in in um, in Melbourne. So, you know, if I if we made a mistake or a customer wanted something urgent, we can probably turn something around in a day. You know, our competitors um, might get something printed overseas and it gets sent here before they can do it. So it's that being agile is super important for our business when we're competing against lots of others. And if we can show our innovation now, our customer focus, that's what it's about, providing solutions to customers. So I'm a massive fan for all the reasons uh, why you would manufacture in Australia. And I can prove that it's better. Yeah. You know, it might be more expensive from a, a per unit level, but when you look at it over the total business and speed and innovation and just, um, you know, having great relationships, it's definitely better to manufacture in Australia. And it's such a nice story as well because you've got the situation where jobs are being lost left, right and centre, mm -hmm. everything's moving offshore mm -hmm. and these guys have figured out a way to repurpose what they're doing yeah. from building car parts to now building yeah. amazing coffee cups. It's, yeah, it's really right. astounding actually. Yeah, and their engineers in their business are just geniuses um, and how they can help us design parts and tools and everything that um, are going to be able to be done at, a, at an economic cost that allows us to compete on the stage and stuff like that. So they've got these really big minds and, you know, they've been able to reinvent themselves on clever green engineering tech jobs. You know, yeah. they're, not, they're not just things that a robot could do. These are, these are really clever 
jobs. And I think that's the that's the future of Australian manufacturing, right? And the more people, you know, don't don't think that we're gonna that means we're gonna employ less people, we're gonna employ more because we're gonna be so clever yeah. in what we do. This is another reason for uh, Frank Green to grow as much as it can. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, no, it, it is and just, you know, every year we we just grow, you know, two, three, four hundred percent each year on year. So you know that, and that's exciting because the manufacturer can see that growth and everything as well. So you know, um, it's a partnership. Yeah, for them. it's a true, yeah. it's a true partnership, and yeah, our respect that we have at all levels for our organisation for our um, manufacturer is um, incredible. They sound like really good guys to yeah. have in your corner. Yeah, they are. I'm, I'm very curious to understand what made you decide to solve this problem at such scale. You know, like you, you obviously doing well in your corporate career. Mm-hmm. You see this massive problem. Most people who care about the environment or who grew up like you did, you know, mm-hmm. been exposed to the environment, say, okay, we see this problem. It's big. Let me buy a reusable cup mm-hmm. and go on my way and I'm not contributing to the problem and that's mm-hmm. my bit. Mm-hmm. But you decided to take it to the next level mm-hmm. and and really put all everything into solving this problem at scale. I'm curious to know why. Was it that you always had this entrepreneurship at heart or did you have this like burning desire to solve yeah, it's, it's, it's actually both. both of those things. So the problem is so big. I mean, people don't realise how big the problem actually is. It just The system is broken. So it needs a lot of thought. You know, I'm proud to say I don't sleep because the problem is so big and I want to spend all my time trying to um, to solve it. And we're still not there yet. You know, humbly, we, we've got a long way to go to keep, you know, keep um, getting our message out there and educating and sort of giving awareness to, to our con- consumers in the community. Um, but then it's this entrepreneurial flair of me as well. You know, we, we don't want to be good. We want to be great, and we want don't want this to sound too aggressive, but we want world domination. <laughs> you know, that that's what that's what we that's what we're after. Um, so we can try and stop this, stop this problem. And you know, everything we eat's got plastic in it. You know, these clever UK scientists that looked at um, our stools. This is a disgusting story, but they looked at our stools, and like ninety nine percent of people were well, actually it was one hundred percent of people had plastic. Yeah, that were wow. all the fish that we eat and everything has plastic in it. You know, they say by twenty fifty, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than actual fish by volume. So all that, so you know, they're the things. That's why it's so big, and we need so much effort in trying to resolve it. Yeah, yeah. we should all be not sleeping, and yeah. everyone. I keep saying we should. It should be pins down, and let's solve this problem so yeah. that we can move on as humanity because yeah. we're yeah. in trouble. Yeah, but we. we what part of Frank Graham was? You know what? It's unfair to be critical to consumers. You know, they've been, in a sense, hoodwinked about what happens to our recycling and, the, and that kind of thing. And inch by inch, you know, by engaging them properly and respecting their opinions and their thoughts, we'll kind of get there. But we've just got to go on that journey with them. I'm just really conscious of, um, you know, con- consumers and how, how this makes them feel and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, very curious to know about impact measurement. Mm-hmm. Do you... Uh, have you done some numbers, crunched the numbers on how many coffee cups you've saved from going to landfill, how many water bottles you've saved from yeah. going from, from to landfill? Yeah. Yeah? Well, within our app, for example, um, that gave us um, every single time that was used and people inputted their water measurements into it, that they found out how much money they'd saved because bot- bottled water is 2,500, 3,000 times more expensive than, than just water out of the tap, the beautiful water out of the tap. And then... 
Uh, it also said how many um, bottles you'd save from landfill. So it was a measure around that. And then obviously you look at um, the amount of coffee, coffee cups and water bottles we've sold, you know, it's been, you know, um, millions over the period of time. And you would say that, you know, um, someone would use it probably 150, be realistic, about 150 times or 150 times three is six, right? So, you know, we've sold billions of, you know, water bottles and coffee cups from going to landfill over that, over that period of time. When you, when you multiply out the years as well. So uh, just going back to that previous point about um, Frank Green being a business that not only is solving an, a massive environmental issue, but mm-hmm. also has financial aspirations, which make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of role do you think that type of business has in this era where we face huge environmental issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, when we can, you know, we'll start supporting other things as well. Um, but but it's how we how we look at it. Like you know, we talked about this reusable shopping bag that we're coming out of that also is a backpack. It's made out of recycled Coke bottles and well PET bottles. Wow. So we're going to look at waste. So it's not just about the reused mo- movement as well. We realise that there's some waste. So let's try and grab that waste and recycle it. Even though we say that that recycling is nowhere near as good as reusing because you've You've had to manufacture it, and then you've had to use it, then you've had to dispose of it, and then um, recycle it and repurpose it, and that takes a lot of energy. Even biodegradable is no good in our books because you still have to make it, and that effort and the different supply chains and waste streams and all that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, we're just thinking of all these different ways that we can make that impact and stop um, that waste around the world. And on this journey, on this journey, Ben, have there been any organisations or people that have influenced you along the way yeah well I, it's it's important for me to talk about Earthwatch and uh, they're an organization here in Australia uh, Japan America and the UK and even before the business had started I'd already um, made an agreement with them in terms of how we we're going to support them so what we, what we found really powerful about the, their movement is it was all about education and awareness at the grassroots level level so it was clever scientists and um, you know people with real environmental passion working with schools and all that kind of thing for a sort of a more sustainable future. Uh, and it was those programs that they run around the world um, that that made so much of a difference for us because it's about, you know, cause and symptom in a sense. Um, Ian Keenan, you know, we all know he's a famous uh, Australian um, skipper. He has been wonderful in terms of uh, sort of chairing the Clean Up Australia movement. But, you know, I want we want to make being kin and kind of redundant in a sense because we don't want any waste for him to actually clean up. So that was really cool about what, what Earthwood stood for. So last year, and you've already uh-huh. alluded to this, that last year was a huge uh-huh. year for you guys. You brought mm-hmm. out the, the steel cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can now customize your cup. Mm-hmm. You partnered with some huge organizations like Disney, yep. Uber, and mm-hmm. Google. Mm-hmm. And now you are expanding into the US. Mm-hmm. How are those all going and what do you have in store for the year ahead? You know, Australia's been so amazing in the support that we've got here. So we're really respectful of that and how we keep sort of developing that, that market. So, you know, there's most certainly a continual focus of Australia, but then sort of the, the, the Asian market, the also the European market as well, because, you know, we're, we're doing really well over there. But then the American market, we see that probably one of the, that's the biggest challenge. That's where the, the most opportunity is for Frank Green. So as a reason for that, you know, I've got to stand up and um, be counted for. So I've moved to America so we can concentrate 
on how we would position our product over there. So the American market, got to respect it. It's very different to the Australian market and how what they think about products and reusing um, and so forth. You know, the the Americans don't want plastic. They don't want glass. They definitely don't want glass. They want stainless steel. And you can't blame them either because stainless steel is amazing. It's, you know, it's vacuum insulated, keeps your coffee hotter for a lot longer. It's durable and it just kind of ticks all your boxes. It doesn't get hot on the outside, any of that kind of thing. So you've got to have a product that meets their needs. So we've we're developed a whole range for the American market now. But the Australians love it too. The, the UK and you know, the Europeans love it too in those cold winter climates. You know, we come from a 6-ounce, a 10-ounce, a 12-ounce, a 16-ounce, a 20-ounce, and a 34-ounce. So, and it doesn't matter, um, you know, what size of your coffee or drink. We've got you covered now, and we've come up with a new lid as well that's perfect for smoothies and also for iced coffee. So, you know, we're doing that, we're catering that because it's a very different culture, particularly on the West Coast. Iced coffees is, you know, where it's at, you know, um, iced lattes, uh, you know, cold drip, all that kind of thing. So... We want to be able to be go there and actually have a solution, a proper solution that the Americans can can uh, can you know can can invest in. So uh, we're doing that. We're going to a lot of trade shows. We're getting the voice out there. We've got a lot of customers uh, and corporations contacting us for exclusivity and all sorts of things that we're doing over there. But we're just being really careful about making the right decisions at the at the right time. So and then you know uh, not only the American expansion, it's about new products now but because of this kind of. You know, we're up over our bow wave now, um, the things that we're doing. You know, we're, we've come out this weekend just at Melbourne Coffee um, uh, Show with reusable straws. The reusable straws are interchangeable in our products as well. So rather than having in our new straw lids a uh, plastic straw that, you know, goes down into your bottle down to the bottom, we don't. We have a stainless steel straw that you can put into its little bag and you can put it in your, in your you know, uh, rucksack or handbag, whatever, and it won't leak out or anything like that. So we've got reusable straws, we've got straw cleaners, we've got reusable ca- carry trays that are made out of recycled PP because we work, worked out in the manufacture of some of our parts, or the lids in particular, there was some waste. So now we grab all that waste and we, we mix it all up and, and re-pelletize it and then make these amazing trays. So imagine working with, you know, say Marvel Stadium about their plight to get out of plastic and that kind of thing, which, which they do, they have a amazing ethos at that, at that stadium so they could have our, our trays and the trays are fitted for but not with payments. So imagine that, you send your mate off to go and get you a couple of beers because it's a really exciting over, uh, overall or term in the AFL and, um, yeah, they can go and buy your beers and they can just tap your, your tray, your tray yeah, on, on the thing, that kind of thing. I've got to Very use, cool. Especially, yeah. I mean, you know, you've only got two hands, right? Taking yeah. out a wallet and then Correct. trying to balance beer. Yeah. I mean, that... Yeah, that solves another issue. Yeah. It's a fundamental problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. fundamental problem <laughs> yeah. for us folks. Yeah, so d- despite us being, you, you know, most certainly, you know, in sustainability and, and reducing waste at its core, we still had some waste. So now we're going back into our own supply chain and kind of like, you know, mopping that up and repurposing that. So there's there's zero waste within the things that, that we do. We're also coming out with a reusable shopping bag that becomes a backpack, you know, then that's just looking at consumers Consumers are shopping more often, but with less things now on the way home from work. You know, you go to one of these express, you know, supermarkets to get your, your nightly shop. So, you know, you can still be on the phone and be talking to people, but it's on your back. And what's awesome about that is we're repurposing, you know, single-use Coke bottles and, and making fabric out of them to make to make this bag. And then there's there's one other thing that's coming out this year, but I'm not going to tell you. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> sure. Um, no, that is just, it's epic. It's something that's like... 
we're really excited about. You can tell you're shaking with yeah. excitement yeah. when you talk about it. Just, it's taken three years. And just, just yesterday I had the final sign-off meeting pretty much with, with our amazing industrial designer here in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, we kind of think we've got it now. Very exciting. With all the testing. So, so, so the thing is, you know, this product, you know, they did all this testing on it and, and, and it kind of had some condensation that came out of it. it that's all it was. It wasn't leaking or anything. And they were trying to tell me that that's pretty damn good. And I said, no, we're Frank Graham. There can't be any of that. Even with boiling hot water and whatever we were doing to it, kicking it, scratching it, biting it, it has to perform. So, yeah, just to go back. We've got to go back and we've got to fix that. So now it looks like we've fixed it. Very well, cool. We're going to yeah. be waiting with bated breath to yeah. find out what this product um, is. When will it be announced? I don't know because uh, I'm because this is one thing I've learned because I get excited about sort of the, <laughs> these solutions that we're bringing out in the marketplace and particularly with all the consumer testing we've done because people kind of really get involved in this evangelical following for our brand. Um, with that, I don't because I've made mistakes before because I get too excited. So we'll, we'll wait. Just let me wait. Let's for just this wait. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So Ben, you speak publicly about entrepreneurship, and you really are seen as a mentor in the startup space. But I wonder if you could share with us some of the advice that you most often impart to individuals who want to start a business but also do good in the world. It takes a certain type of person to be an entrepreneur, and it, it's a really broad range of skills as well. And you've got to have what I call gumption as well. The things will go wrong. They're going to go wrong, right? And they'll go wrong on a daily basis. And sometimes multiple times on a daily basis. You've got to be able to pick yourself up off the map. So I think it's, it's that gumption that you have and, and, and understanding that no matter what happens, you've got to, you've got to get yourself up off the map and, and go again. It's that, that, that tenacity. You've got to have that. You've got to understand that that's the type of person you are. Don't try it. It'll just upset you. You know, you probably won't get to where you want to get to unless you've got that. So first of all, it's like know yourself, I think. Then second of all, I think you've got to solve a market problem. And I kind of alluded to it before. You, you, can't, just, you can't just do it. You've got to do it really well. You've got to be two standard deviations ahead of any, where anyone else is. And as we know, that's right out here. You're in, you're, in your own, you're in your own land there. So make sure you do that and make sure you've got value in it for everyone. It's got to, you've got to go to someone and it's got to, for businesses, communities, governments, consumers, everyone's got to be able to get something out of this. And then, you know, in terms of purpose, we've, we've all got different purposes and things have affected us in our life. You just got to pick what, what yours is. And then, and then that really helps you with the underlying kind of focus and support for everything else that you do because you are trying to realize this vision that you have and your passion. That's so important because, as I said before, things are going to go wrong and they're not going to go right. You need to go back to basics about why you're doing it. And if you've got a real foundation for that passion and vision of what you're doing, it's just going to allow you to, to just keep getting on. So they're the, they're the four so things that I would say that are really important. For the listeners out there, how can they get in touch with Frank Green? Where can they find your products? Yeah, sure. So um, first and foremost, you can find it on our website, frankgreen.com. Uh, .au or .com and then from there we're in probably about 3,000 locations here in, in Australia um, so a lot of retail stores cafes you know corporates have them all, all that kind of thing sporting venues um, but then you know we're in 54 countries too around the world so um, pretty much you know there's lots of different places you can get on our website look at where our stockers are um, you know the, the movement's growing and we're really excited about it and you know you, you can't get people to buy your products unless you make it accessible so that's what we're trying to do I would like to add one idea to the product development backlog of Frank, Frank Green, if possible. <laughs> Not you too. <laughs> I bet you have no, that. I'll be honoured to hear this. <laughs> uh-huh. 
So we spent six months traveling the world and mm. we, just before we left London, we adopted the zero waste lifestyle. Yes. Largely speaking, of course, it's never 100% zero waste, but we yeah. tried our best. And, you know, plastic bottles and coffee cups yeah. were things that we just didn't ever yeah. consume. And then we went traveling and we went to, you know, places like Peru and Kenya and mm -hmm. Costa Rica and you can't drink the water yeah. out of the tap. And we would like a bottle that just gets that bacteria out for yeah, you. Right. And you can just drink it, and you then enter the sustainable travel market. All right. So we we did that. <laughs> oh, you, oh did. you did. <laughs> yeah. So we so we created this coconut husk char charcoal filter for our bottles, but it was too good, and it was too hard for consumers to get the the liquid through it. So if you put coke in this bottle and you squeezed it out, it come out clear. The coke will come out clear. Crazy. So we did it, but then we kind of like. You know, particularly when, you know, the centre of the business has been, but it's changing Australia, the water in Australia, maybe Perth's a bit and South Australia's a bit funky sometimes, but the, the water in the, the East Coast of Australia is beautiful. So a lot of people fill up their, their bottles from, you know, safe fountains and all that kind of thing. So the filter kind of wasn't applicable. But, yeah, we, we had a range and we're the first of a company in the world um, to um, make a, a, a squeezable clear water bottle that was dishwasher safe because most of those bottles are made out of PET, yeah. which has, you know, a very low melting point. So if you put them in the dishwasher, they would just go down to like a shrinky dinky kind of thing. They wouldn't, they wouldn't work after that. So yeah, we did it. And maybe we might have a renaissance back to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, Great. I'll put it on, put the, on list. the list. I, I think it list. could be something. <laughs> the longest. Yeah. For, the, for those developing countries in Southern America, so mm -hmm. South America and Africa, it would be huge. Yeah. yeah, actually, we did an, a really interesting interview, so it might be something to look at for your product development mm -hmm. research um, with an amazing social entrepreneur in Guatemala who's mm -hmm. figured out, a, um, who had uh, adopted technology from a local inventor around mm -hmm. using clay mm -hmm. to, to eliminate the bacteria. Clay, yeah. 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 Silver yeah, nitrate, really cool. I think, as well. Clay yeah. and silver nitrate and um, sawdust. All right. Yeah. And it's open source technology. They wanted to make it available to the world. Right, okay. So... Yeah, they um, give, give me the details. Have a have a, a shout out to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and that's that. That's a wrap. Uh, ben, thank you so much for having us here. Yeah, it's been an absolute Joy. pleasure yeah, learning you. from you and hearing all about the Frank Green adventure. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to seeing world domination in the not too distant yes. future. Yeah, lots <laughs> of world domination. Yeah, no more um, throwaway single use uh, coffee cups. Yeah, five years from now, we want to see more containers, no more straws, yes, any more plastic bags, bottles, yeah. the whole the whole gamut. That's right. Doesn't this episode just make you want to head out into the world and solve some big problems? We hope you found some inspiration both from the perspective of your daily liquid consumption, but also from a broader problem solving or entrepreneurial perspective. On the product side, it's worth mentioning that while this is not a sponsored episode, Ben and his team were kind enough to gift us some of their coffee mugs and water bottles to try, and they have quickly become some of our favorite zero waste living gear. And we feel pretty swish using them too. So if you're in the market for a beautiful reusable, please do check these guys out. Thanks again for your ears. We appreciate your listen and we look forward to seeing you next time.